Well, welcome everybody back to another episode of Biking Brokers with your host, Chris Merrill and Miles Romney. We know it's been a while, a couple, like a month now or so, and that's probably mainly due to summer's crazy time, vacation, things like that. But then also Chris and myself, we took off and did a little biking trip. Where'd we go, Chris? We, we went to Bentonville, Arkansas, and we should have invited our guests is what I found out after the fact. So <laughs> we didn't invite the people that gave us the idea. So um, we have Keith with us today. So Keith, you know, if you bring up Hawaii, I can't guarantee you're going to come with us. Well, but um, I don't know, Hawaii, too much sun, <laughs> too much sun, too much beach. I no, no, I, I, I need mountains. <laughs> Oh, yes. True, Keith is a mountain biker and he's a friend of ours, known him for a while. Um, he does crazier mountain biking than us. But uh, I was talking to Keith and said, yeah, we went to Bentonville. And he's like, um, what about me? <laughs> so I apologize. <laughs> Keith. Well, no, it was even better than that. I was like going through my Instagram and I see I see you checking in in Bentonville. I'm like, there's awesome mountain biking in Bentonville. You're like, yes, there is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we're going again, and we're taking Keith with us. So. Dundale, well, you, we'll start booking it now. Oh. Well, you told me about all the, oh, you had to tape up like your legs or something. Lots of ticks. Ticks. I, I don't know. I It kind of dropped Bentonville like a notch <laughs> in my book then. <laughs> one or two i think i mean after like the first dozen the second dozen of ticks on your legs isn't bad i mean you just get used to it you just look down swipe them off and just keep pedaling oh, <laughs> oh yes that's it but so and i do have to say was, in full transparency part of the reason we missed a week is because i forgot to hit record the last time we had keith on so i'm just throwing that out there let's just get it out because it's going to come up yeah so. it it, it happened. So we, we've learned and we're recording today and we're, we're all set. But um, I wanted or I was chatting with Chris and Chris and Keith. So, you know, I'll let Keith do introductions on your own, kind of what your background is, or anything like that. But Chris, you and Keith took off a week or two back and had kind of a fun little speaking tour, if you will. And so I thought, you know what, we need to hear about this and dive a little bit deeper into the, the topic, which is is clinics inside of an organization and how that works, how that operates with the employees, kind of the ins and outs and, and things like that. And so, you know, ultimately, Chris, you're in the hot seat today with Keith. So, uh, but yeah, Keith, you want to turn over to you for a minute? Just, you know, give us a little kind of brief synopsis of yourself, what, uh, what your day looks like and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, no, thank you. Uh, it's good to be back with you guys for the second time. Um, <laughs> No, I, I'm, I'm the AVP, um, Director of Total Rewards for Mountain America Credit Union. And um, I've been there for three years now. Prior to that, I was eight years um, with Vivint. And that was a, a exciting, interesting ride. And they, they just went public. So you, I, I tune, every, tune in every morning to see how their stock's doing. Um, I'm still working. <laughs> That's true. He does still have a job, so it didn't go that. Uh, but um, before uh, before moving to Utah, we've been here eleven years. Um, before that, um, I was up in the Northwest in Seattle, Washington, for five years. 
Um, and that's where, I know this isn't work related, but that's where I kind of discovered mountain biking, fell in love with it. Um, and then next thing you know, my, my friend uh, says, we're gonna go to Whistler, Canada. And we, we ended up mountain biking um, Whistler. And for the five years we were there, um, at, at least twice a summer, we'd go up to Whistler for the weekend and, and go to, well, the adult Disney world for yep, sure. Yep. Well, that's um, next summer, Keith. You need to get that trip planned for us. We'll go next summer. Yeah, that it is. It is worth every every penny of it. But I guess um, the one last time you at, you know, we shared a story, kind of our crazy mountain bike story. Um, and it's still the craziest one I had. I have. Um, I have an embarrassing one that happened a week ago with my son. But the, the best one was we we're um, on top of the world. It's, um, it's in Whistler and it, it ends up being, you know, 18 miles of just continuous downhill, um, single track. And well, lo and behold, our first time being at Whistler, we get lost and we're, we're not on the trail anymore. Uh, we come around a corner and there's a, a big brown bear just sitting in the middle of the, the trail just kind of munching, chilling out. And I start screaming. I, I swear the bear kind of looked at us, started screaming where he, the bear's running off where I'm yelling to my buddy, don't touch your brakes. There's a bear up here. And, you know, we, we finally get a mile down the road. We stop and we're high-fiving each other and we made it, we're alive. And then we just realized the, the bear was as scared as we were and just trying to get out of there. But yeah, I've, I've never seen a bear that close in my life and I, I don't want to again. That's not normally on people's bucket lists, right? Keith is like, I no, want to be face no. to face to a bear. It, it was it was definitely a, a chance encounter and I don't want to take that chance again. Wow. Nothing uh, gets you to that PR like a bear chasing you cruising down a hill. <laughs> yeah, I, for sure. I was not using a, a lick of brake for, for a while there. <laughs> no. Well, well, no, that's a good story. That's going to be a hard one to top. So we'll have to keep that one jotted down and see if somebody can top that and get in a, a bear chase. But no, we're, we're grateful to you, Keith, for, for jumping on here and especially sharing the, the biking story that always helps us. We'll get you on maybe for a third time and you can tell us your embarrassing story because uh, we'd love to hear that one. But uh, Chris, you know, turn it over to you for a minute here. You know, tell us about your trip and what it all entailed and we'll kind of dovetail into that. Perfect. So, uh, so Keith, um, this is his second clinic and that'll kind of come up as we go through it. So at Mountain America, we've implemented a clinic for their members and our, their their plan members, not their member members. At a credit union members means a different thing. So <laughs> it is for their employees and it's at corporate. Uh, Mountain America built a new corporate space. And as part of that, they planned an onsite clinic. And so uh, with Keith, we evaluated different vendors. This is Keith's second rodeo at Vivint. He helped do this same thing. So he's an expert. And uh, so there's a, a group out there that does an onsite clinic uh, seminar every year. So they've asked Keith to talk in the past and he's like, no, but this time he got me engaged and I'm like, let's do this thing. So um, it was fun. So we talked about engagement fun. and, and how that looks. And 
I've been told that we weren't very humble because I told everybody we killed it. <laughs> but Keith and I did an <laughs> awesome job. So um, hopefully that comes across. But uh, well, yeah. So maybe talk a second, Chris, just about the clinic itself and what that looks like. And from not necessarily the company standpoint, but look at that from the employee standpoint. And what does that mean for the employee having a quote unquote clinic there in the office? Well, I'm actually going to ask Keith to do that because he uses oh, the okay. clinic. We unfortunately even, don't even have better. access to said clinic. So, um, so Keith, what is it? Why do we do it? What's the benefit to the employee? Why is this a big deal? Well, let's. I guess there there's a line in the sand, and it, it's it's COVID. It's you know March. Um, what was that? 2020. <laughs> uh, some yeah. year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> some and, distant memory. And we had our clinic up and running um prior uh, a year prior to to covid kind of hit smacking us in the face we have we had close to um 800 to 900 people at a corporate office so we had critical mass um so we we have a clinic where um all of our employees regardless if they're, if they're on the health plan um are, are able to visit the clinic uh, and receive care um, family members that um, dependents that are on our health plan, the MACU health plans, they're also able to access the clinic and, and receive care. And obviously, we do it um, much cheaper than than what you can do in Main Street. Whatever we can do to remove barriers to care, um, you know, we're able to prescribe prescription drugs and dis, um, distribute, um, administer those drugs right out of the clinic. Um, anything to to make convenient um, seeing the doctor for for our, our employees. Um, then lo and behold, we had um, COVID happen and everything shut down. We don't have critical mass anymore. Um, and even as we, you know, soft soft open our corporate office here in in Salt Lake City. Um, it feels like we're never going to have that 800 to 900 people in the office um, again. You know, we're, we're operating 25, 50% um, capacity. We have a lot of flex schedules going on, hybrid schedules, where people will be in the office, you know, two, one, two, three times a week, and the rest of it will be at home. So there, there's definitely going to be staggering, um, a staggered approach to who's in the office and when. So Chris talked about engagement. Um, and really, we, we kind of, I guess it was not disappointing, but we, we got a lot of history lessons from the, the participants at the conference saying, well, this is what happened. And this is, um, and this is what we had to deal with with COVID. But everybody in that room lived that that dream, that nightmare. So we were we wanted to flip the question, saying, "Yeah, we all lived COVID. What are you doing now to make your clinic um, a meaningful and powerful benefit for your employees? And how do you engage your workforce so that it's still well, it, it's still seen as as a positive and not just." something that made sense back in, back in the day. Yeah. Well, and I think is one of the things is Keith and I talked to it at the conference, the goal was 
how do we make clinics relevant? And I think in, in talking and those history lessons, you kind of went, you know, clinics are more relevant moving forward. And I think COVID kind of did this kick in the butt so that we can expand what the clinic can do for people on an individual basis versus just if you open it, they will come, which I hate that phrase, but that's kind of been the thing. If you have enough belly buttons in one place, you can make a clinic work. If you're an employer with 5,000 people in one office, you can absolutely make a clinic work. Um, but now I think we've got this opportunity through COVID and people's experience and then big data. And we'll talk about that a little bit to how do we identify people and, and Keith hit it on the head, Miles, in that, you know, what are we trying to do for the member? And we're trying to give them a better experience and, and go back to the Keith and I'll remember this. Miles is not going to know what we're talking about because he's 20 years younger than us, but the Marcus Welby days. <laughs> you know, what, what does Marcus Welby look like in 2022? And I think employers who implement an on-site clinic in some fashion are going to be able to go back to that and have that relationship that I don't have with my current provider. Um, I mean, she retired and I had no idea, you know, because there's no relationship there. It was very transactional and the clinic tries to change that. So, so that's kind of the gist, Miles. No, no, it totally makes sense. And I have no idea who that is. So I don't know how to transition from that name you just shared, but. <laughs> okay, I, well, I with that. Kind of, no, I, I'm curious though, kind of diving a little bit more deeper into that experience. And I know Keith, you mentioned it's changed just a smidge from uh, COVID and, and people working at home, but I mean, what does that look like for the employee? I mean, what are the hours actually in the day they can see the doctor? Is it only during the business hours, after hours? You know, if I want to bring in my spouse or my kids, what does that look like? You know, kind of there, but then also, you know, maybe some share some experiences from the employee standpoint, right? Of, I'm an employee sitting at my desk and I don't have to leave work to get something checked on. I just walk down the hallway, maybe something like that. And I know that that's going to change a little bit in the future, like you mentioned, but I think some of that will still always be there, right? Yeah, you know, have having access to to our doctor, um, not have to leave work is still very appealing. Um, you know, acute care, I, I got a scratchy throat. What, what do I do about it? That, that's always going to be a part of the clinic. Um, you know, camp physicals for, for your for your kid as they're going off the summer camp or whatever that looks like. Um, but we, we pivoted pretty quick. We, we introduced the, the virtual care, um, Teladoc, you know, to throw out a, a brand name out there, but offering that and making sure that was available um, to all of our members as quickly as possible was, was a positive and it really I think changed the way people looked at virtual care and it, it's really the that's the one great thing um, about COVID it it's it made us adopt um, the virtual care the virtual model quickly and people became very comfortable with it yeah um, I guess what but the, the the actual you know just seeing visits taking care of you know that those acute care issues there there's a lot more um, that we we can do with the clinic and with the right providers or with the right partners and having access to the data 
um, that's where Chris and I, we, we started talking and saying, what, what, how do we get more out of our clinic instead of just taking care of the earaches and the, the mole that needs to be removed? Yeah. Well, no, I think you, you, I'll go Chris. I was going to say, as, as you talk about that experience, you know, Keith's talking about that acute care and stuff. And that's a very real part. Like Keith said, it's never going away, but for some people, that's the thing that matters the most. Cause that's what they are used to. And to not have to go sit, I mean, they call it a waiting room for a reason. And how many of us say, I just want to go sit in a room with sick people and not do anything. I mean, nobody, right? And so when you do this onsite clinic, you get away from that. And whether it's virtual, which Keith's right. So our, our vendor at Mountain America is a company called Carry TC, which is trying really hard to be the best vendor they can be um, and, and doing that pivot and doing some other things that are innovative. Um, but the virtual thing's the same. I mean, for a lot of services, sure, if I'm a diabetic, I have to go in once in a while. But do I need to go in every quarter for my A1C? No, not necessarily. I could do that virtually, whatever virtual looks like. Um, most clinic hours run kind of business hours-ish. You know, it's when is the office open? When is it closed? Though with uh, the vendor we've got, if you needed access in the evening, you could potentially, and they have access to the EMR records, so they know what's going on, um, and that kind of benefit. So, uh, but, but yeah, I think let's get into, for the next little bit, talking about the power of the data. That's one thing Keith and I are on the same page and have been since, like, day one. Um, yeah. No, Keith, you brought that good point up, is, is the data side. So, I mean, where are you pulling the data from? Is it just internal, external, seeing vendors? What, what can you do with it? What's the power of analyzing it? Um, I mean, either of you. Yeah, I guess it's, it's again, it's, it's the story of, of two cities, right? We have pre-COVID where you're able to have a, a PHA event um, and you have a bunch of employees show up um, you incentivize them to, you know, to give their blood and to, you know, answer some questions. And then you have, you know, you have this database, you have a bunch of data that you're able to then start looking at your, the health of your workforce and then start making decisions on the type of plans or the type of incentives or even the type of outreach you can have. Um, this past year, we, we again, we, we had a, a PHA um, the amount of people that wanted to come into the office uh, was the, it wasn't that great. Um, they, they didn't want to leave home. They, they didn't want to come and, and stand around with other people um, that they haven't seen in a long time. And they don't know the, their COVID status. <laughs> like, uh, are you dirty or are you mm -hmm. not dirty? <laughs> exactly. So again, I guess the, Traditionally, what has a health plan relied upon, the data they relied upon, one of our key gathering tools, you know, it's just not as effective anymore. Um, but we were, we were meeting with our partner, Carrie TC, and I think this was the ha-ha moment that Chris and I both kind of looked at each other with the raised eyebrows, and they said, we know um, through the claims data, so, right, it's, it's data that we already have. We don't have to go out and try to collect um, additional data, um, info. We don't have to bribe people to come in. This is data we have. We know who, who's, um, 
who's sick and using AI, we know that this person by name um, is gonna end up in the ER with a 90% assurity in the next three months. And we're just like, what, what? You know, it, I don't know, did it feel, what's the, did it feel a little bit like minority report? But little big brother looking in on you. But the power of the data, being able to know where to start looking or who to start outreach to, that that was kind of the haha moment and really kind of started this um, discussion with Chris and I and and ended up leading us to to the conference in Chicago. Yeah, well, and as we talk about big data, I mean, you we all know Google and whatever and you know, you're sitting there, you're talking with friends, and you're talking about, I don't know, this, this cool product you saw on Facebook. And then your friend opens up their Instagram, and what's the ad? It's the thing you just saw. And everybody's like, uh, this is way too weird, you know? Yeah, but it was yeah. that kind of moment with medical care. And it's like, okay, how do we take what we know, coupled with big data, because big data is a thing and it works, and how do we go out and identify people? Now, the, the problem we had and still have is, let's pretend, Miles, you're that one who has that 90% chance. What's that phone call look like? You know, hi, Miles. This is the yeah. clinician. At the, you know, this is Dr. <laughs> Dr. Jones from Mountain America's clinic. Um, you're going to go in the ER if you don't come see me right now. I mean, you know, how, does he, how do you even get down that path? Um, which is interesting, but we now have tools that we never had before. And I think that's the benefit of, of moving forward. And COVID pushed people into accepting, hey, we can do care in a different way. Yeah, I guess I, guess I want to make sure for, for the, your listeners that, you know, I, I was kind of tongue in cheek a little bit, you know, minority report and we know. Just a little. <laughs> yeah, we, we know who's sick. We know who's going to end up Right. We, but we made a very conscious decision to keep that, that firewall in place that we don't know. We, we don't want to know these individuals. We want to keep um, that trust that we've spent a lot of time um, that we, we don't know what's happening in the clinic. We don't know who, who has what or what's, who's doing what. Um, and it's taken a while for us to build that trust with our employees, and we're not going to do anything that jeopardizes that. So that's why it's that's why we've partnered um, with Carry DC for um, you know they developed an outreach program. They have nurses, a call center that's reaching out um, to these you know uh, pilot programs that we're doing with them. We we've partnered with our um, our networks our our TPAs, you know, Select Health and, and Regents on what is outreach, right? We have this data. What, how, how are we gonna partner with, with our clinic and with the resources you have to make sure we're, we're making contact with these people and that they, they have the information so that they can take action. Not that we're forcing them, but we just wanna make sure that they understand what's happening what their health profile looks like and that they can, we can offer, not we as an employer, but the health plan can make suggestions on how to address these issues so that they can live the, you know, live their best, best selves. 
And as yeah. Keith talks about that, I mean, we get net promoter score rankings through the clinic on, you know, that's just part of the process and the net promoter scores through the roof. Um, they do a very good job, but I'll never forget one of the comments. And as we talk about living their best lives that Keith mentioned, um, there was one person that said, the clinic's amazing. The only thing that would make it better is a disco ball. And I'm like, well, that's my people for one, you know, but yeah. that, that sentiment of this has changed how I interact with the system and to have a health plan. And Keith, you know, made a good point. There's this clear line that the employer doesn't know who people are. They know generalities. And when you've got, you know, 1800 member or employees and 5,000 belly buttons on the plan, them saying, there's somebody that's going to go in the ER. Nobody knows who that is. Um, and that's important because that trust is a big deal in any clinic relationship. Um, the employees have to understand how that relationship looks and how it's being used. But people's responses to an employer who says, we're really here to help you be better. Because yes, does it save us money? Absolutely. However, it's giving you a better life. The, the best life you can have, whatever that means for you. And, and that's been a rewarding part of all of this. And I mean, Keith's seen it across, you know, literally thousands and thousands of people at this point that he's had purview over um, and, and we keep doing it. It's not going anywhere. So. No, in fact, right. I guess what, how, how have we used this information? So we, we had, we did do a pilot program where we got about 20 people um, that's very, I guess, within a 25 mile radius of the clinic. And they were identified as, you know, out of control diabetes or not controlled diabetes. So um, Dr. Ayers became our disease management um, personnel. He, he managed this group. And I mean, to, to the person, they all, they all got better, right? Their, their metrics improved. Um, their A1Cs came way down. Um, their, the spikes, you know, the sugar spikes have, have come way down. Um, weight loss. So every, everything, you know, making sure that their eye exams and their um, feet exams uh, are happening, right? All that, all that occurred because our, our doctor in the clinic is managing the, this group of, of patients um, and they're, they're building that relationship with, with a provider that, that they know that they trust and then a provider that cares about them. And if something is occurring that we can't handle it within the clinic, the beautiful thing is we have those relationships with our, um, with our health network, with the networks that we're able to then refer out to those and, and get that higher level of care that, that we can't take care of in, in the clinic. And to the sweeten, I guess the, the hook was, look, your, your care is gonna be free. The, your medication um, and equipment is free um, if you're willing to partake um, in, this, in this pilot or this test. And the success rate was, was huge. So now we're, we're partnering how, how to expand that, you know, to our six state footprint. Um, and then what other diseases can we start tackling? No, that's, that's huge to be able to get the reins on some of those conditions.
But I think I want to shift lanes a little bit. We can come back to that for a second. But you brought up something, Keith, there on the pharmacy side. So we, we talked a lot about kind of the acute conditions or chronic conditions that we're able to manage. What does that look like on the pharmacy side? So looking at the data, how, to, how do you match the data with the pharmacy internally or on a broader scope of all the employees and, you know, affect change in that arena? Um, well, I guess in the state of Utah, the ability to prescribe and to administer or distribute um, medicine, medication out of the clinic was not always, uh, was not always possible. Um, th that, that rule changed, I don't know, eight years ago. Um, and yes, I was, I was part of the push. <laughs> you <happen>. and Jamie. <laughs> um, but that, that really changed the game. So we were, we were, you're able to create your own formulary, um, within the clinic and, and really discount, um, discount the drugs that's most meaningful uh, for your population. And by, by having access to the data, you know what, what disease states are impacting your employees or their dependents. And then you're able to create that formulary that's the most meaningful. Um, and when you partner with um, the right PBM, you're able to maybe get it cheaper than what they can um, in the, what, Main Street? Uh, Main Street. Um, you're able to maybe throw it in um, with the copay and, and the office visit. So it's just having data and then the ability or the freedom to create your own formulary that's impactful to your, your population um, is, is huge. And it, it, I don't know, we've had great results. No, anything kind of on your end, Chris, that you're seeing trend-wise or anything on the pharmacy side that you're able to enact from that data or just anything additional? Well, so as we look at, I mean, pharmacy is one of the biggest growing areas. Drug prices are insane. Um, it's something we talk about all the time. Um, they, you know, we just got a drug, well, just. Um, most expensive drug I've heard recently is $2.18 million dollars. Uh, which you go, that's crazy um, for one person, for one drug. And, and I'm not here to talk about the value of, you know, what is a life and the lifestyle and all the rest of it. It's just, that's a lot of money to be borne by a health plan such as Mountain America. And the clinic gives us some opportunities to uh, help manage care using pharmacy. Um, there are other things we can do. And I think that we'll, you know, talk about that in some some upcoming in an upcoming podcast potentially um you know how do we help control that runaway spend but i don't know that the clinic is necessarily there to um, help with that so much as much as let's make sure people get the prescriptions they need in order to be managed like they should be and remove price from the equation and we've seen across the board for everybody we've done that whether it's insulin or heart medication or cholesterol med or whatever by providing that for free, it ends up offsetting itself in the fact that one, we may be able to get it cheaper than going to, you know, the Walgreens or the CVSs of the world um, by buying it wholesale and bringing it in through the clinic. But two is we've got this management and, and it depends on population. I mean, with Mountain America, you've got this population of people who are all, you know, middle-class 
you know, in the more the executive side, because we're at the corporate, you know, white collar um, versus say a manufacturer that's maybe making $12, $13 an hour and uh, buying that medication is, is a big deal. And so by using the clinic, we've been able to help some of that. And so Mountain America is utilizing that as is the other clinics we have. Um, you know, we talked to Keith, this is his second one. He's personally set up, he's run. We at Diversified have got um, 10 now, number 11s in the wings um, as far as clients with clinics. And so pharmacy is a big deal, becoming a bigger deal. Um, the clinic's a tool, but not an answer to pharmacy. Um, for those of you are like, oh, how do I solve this problem? Oh, well, I don't think you put in a half million dollar clinic to solve your pharmacy problem, but it definitely helps. Yeah, you're not going to control, right? You're not going to be able to get your drugs cheaper because you have a clinic, the wholesale price. But you're, if you're, you're able to remove the barrier for carrier, right? It's you're, you're ensuring that people are taking their medication when they should, and that there's there's an interested party, take making sure that it's it's having the effect. Um, on the, on the patient or our employee, um, yeah. I mean, having a an amputation because diabetes or going blind because diabetes isn't controlled, that's a lot more expensive than paying for the insulin in the long run. Yep. Yeah, totally. And I think I I don't know if it was the the clinic you guys are talking about there or another clinic, and just and that's. The, one of the stories that always sticks out in my mind is an employee, you know, shared one time that, you know, I went and saw the doctor and I totally forgot that my prescription needed to be filled. And lo and behold, 20 minutes later, that prescription was dropped off at my desk. And I totally had forgot that I was almost out or that I needed to refill. And it was refilled and dropped off at my desk. And so to your point, Keith, right, we're able to manage a lot of that and make sure that you're staying on top of it. There's a lot of conditions if they're managed much cheaper long run, better health outcomes. But if it's unmanaged, that's when it can start to spiral. And so, you no, know, that's, that's um, some great info there. Anything, Chris, I mean, from what you guys had shared or anything else that you had picked up at the conference that you thought was interesting or well, anything in the future to keep an eye on? Yes. Yeah, I think so. And you, as you talked, you know, you talked about, um, you know, the employee and that being dropped off at their desk. And I want to circle back around because the desk's going away to Keith's point for, I mean, we've got employers that are hundred percent virtual now. Um, so it's like, all right, what is that, that experience? And so let's take a big step back to the data and what are we doing with it? The clinic by using this big data, by using social determiners, by using claims data versus this PHA event. I mean, if you didn't catch Keith, just kind of backhandedly said, we've been spending tens of thousands of dollars on these events that really may or may not matter anymore. You know, yeah. um, that really got, that got some people pretty upset at the conference. Oh yeah. When <laughs> I, when I said that, I, I think they probably, their companies probably do PHA events. <laughs> right. well, that one guy, there was this guy sitting down there and he, he's a clinic provider. So he's a vendor of clinic services. And he's like, no, I don't agree. And we're like, dude, nobody's in the office. Who are you going to have come? And yeah, that was funny. He walked out. <laughs> Keith and I both were like, he left. <laughs> but using this big data and, and the social determiners and the rest of it, you know, we're able to to do more outreach. And I think that that in the long run is more 
beneficial than just having this big net we catch. So it's gone from we're going to cast this big giant net that trolls the ocean bottom to all right, we're going to put in a line that's specific to this and we're going to target individuals versus targeting this big net. And I think overall we're going to see better long-term results as a result of this targeted outreach because we're we're not getting the chaff and we're becoming more targeted in what we're talking about trying to manage and the people that we're engaging with and we're doing it in a more meaningful way um, than these these events where you know the people that aren't healthy keith had mentioned it a couple of times we tried to buy their love right we're going to bribe them we'll give like mountain america is what a 50 dollars if they come is that it keith well, we actually offered a base based on your enrollment, but somebody, you know, with a that enrolled in the employee plus, you know, two or more, you know, they, they could earn $156. So we we're buying their love, but the people who are really sick or just don't want to take the time or whatever, it, it's never enough to move the dime, at least over time. Because you might spend $400, but next year they're like, yeah, I just, I don't care enough. It didn't, it's not impactful. So I think this targeted thing's a big deal. Um, and that's one of the things we talked about at the conference. But um, Miles, you asked other things we learned. So Keith, what was the coolest thing we learned while we were there? That the, the U.S.'s newest aircraft carrier is ready to be launched. Oh, there was that. That's true. That was not what I was thinking, but that actually did happen, right? Yeah. Uh, They're like, we build big ships. And I remind reminded me of Pretty Woman when she basically said that, because that's what happens at the end. Richard Gere, you know, the old guy comes out and he's like, we're going to build big ships. <laughs> and and uh, it made the one guy really mad. But um no, it was the pooping in the box, which I don't like saying yeah. that word. <laughs> so. No, I, it's, again, it's using, it's using data um, to, to figure out how to treat people. And um, there's, there's a lot of studies out, you know, that gut health really just dictates how, well, well it's a, it predicts, you know, if you're healthy or not, um, it, it, it'll tell you if your cholesterol is, is in line or is in check, um, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes. I mean, that it's a whole host is there's the science is starting to point that the gut, you know, is either is all involved in that or is a predict, you can use it as a predictor. So, um, again, carry DC, um, they they partnered um, with a, one of their other companies and, and they did a pilot by using um, what the gut biome and determining what food is best for you individually. So one, it tells you what foods to avoid um, that your bodies just don't process your body does not process it well and it just creates a lot of waste. You know that that's fat, that's cholesterol you know, you don't process the sugars as well. And it also then tells you for your gut biome, you need to be eating X, you know, X, Y, Z. If that's a combination of foods, right? It, the science is down to that point. Um, and then again, just like, just like we had success with our pilot, 
meaning we've had, you know, improved results um, based on the disease management program, you know, they, they had the same type of results, but it was all based on eating the right foods based on your own gut biome, and, you know, people without, and it's not a diet, it's, you're not restricting the food you're eating, you're just eating the right type of foods for your body. And these, and these, everybody lost weight. Um, people came off heart medicine, diabetes, um, you know, the diabetes medicine, cholesterol medicine, just because they started eating food that their body is able to burn um, the best and their health improved. It, I, it, I'm just like, what? It, it was pretty cool. It it's was incredible. super cool. So they call it precision medicine. That's the term for this general category. And it's becoming more of a thing. I mean, you see it with some medications. You know, we're going to do a DNA analysis of you to determine if, well, a genetic test to determine if this drug actually works. So like Prozac, floxetine is the generic. Um, some people are on it, but their genetic makeup doesn't actually mean that they're going to absorb the floxetine. So it doesn't really help any benefit they're getting to the placebo effect. And so there's this whole concept. Well, they take this gut biome, like you mentioned, and the example they gave was, okay, let's say you have oatmeal every day for breakfast. Well, you've got some people, and we tell this from the, the lab tests, and it's like he said, all backed up by science. And they said, all right, person A has oatmeal, doesn't do anything. It's perfect. I mean, it's just, it's negligible. It's just, it's oatmeal. They eat it. it the body does what it's supposed to do. Person B is like, hmm you shouldn't touch oatmeal with a 10 foot pole. Your body isn't processing it like it should. And so you're seeing elevated sugar levels or whatever the case may be. Person C, you can eat oatmeal, but you need to eat it with almonds because that creates the synergy that your body needs for those bacteria that exist in your um, intestines so that it processes it all correctly. And they have an app. And when you sit down, you can say, here's what I'm eating. And it'll tell you all this stuff. Keith and I both were like, how do we sign up? How do I pay for this? I'm willing to pay for this. Um, I'm meeting with them tomorrow. Oh, see, there you go. Wow. Super cool. But it's things like that that are hard to do in the medical system. And so to circle big back around, you know, when you've got a non-site clinic and you have control over how your plan interacts with the membership, you can do these things that you can't do otherwise. And this was, that was the cool thing. And it was neat that our vendor was the one who talked about it. Um, but it was like, wow. And what else is coming down the horizon? And I think that for onsite clinics and precision medicine and being able to take care of ourselves in the way that our body needs it, we're identifying not everybody's the same. And that food plate isn't the same for everybody. And, um, and even in the same house, it's not it's not that you both have the same set of parents and your kids are going to have these same conditions. It's different. Environment does create a, a, a condition. Um, anyway, that was to me, well, the aircraft carrier thing was super cool. <laughs> but that was the thing. I think we both just came out and said, this is what we want to do next. Yeah. Just trying to figure out again, something that the individual can do for themselves, arm them with data, and let them run with it and let them see the results. Yep. And again, you're not starving yourself. You're not restricting what you're eating. You're just eating the right things. People are not feeling deprived. 
And that's, I think that's why, um, I don't know, that's why diets fail. You feel deprived. You just can't keep, keep on going on feeling hungry all the time. Yep. So, so there you no, go, that's, Miles. That's super. That's, that's episode number three with you, Keith, is we'll get an update, whether you personally, how that worked out for you, if you guys are implementing it, what it ended up looking like. So we'll keep that on the calendar and, and rope you back in, but uh, no, super appreciate you, Keith, for jumping on with us today, Chris, you know, awesome. You're able to, to head out there kind of bummed. I didn't go to go with you, but maybe next time. Um, but I think kind of as a, as a teaser, I Chris for, for another episode in the future, you know, Mountain America, they're a perfect opportunity to be able to do that inside clinic, but it sounds like things are shift, you know, shifting after COVID. So um, we kind of a precursor, if you will, to what a near site clinic could look like for maybe a smaller company, right? That's not a few thousand employees, maybe just a couple hundred and doesn't have the space for that. So we'll, uh, we'll leave that for another episode of what a near side clinic could do for, for a company and, and working together with them. But anything else, Chris, before we sign off? Nope. I think that, well, we, we invite Keith on our next trip. That's, that's number one. Yeah. So yep. Yep. We all figure out how openers, we get... What were you going to say? Just saying, when Canada opens it, when Canada, Canada opens its borders, we need to head up to Whistler. So we'll true. So 2022 radar. may be perfect, right? So yep. Yep. <laughs> right now, I did not know this Colt told us that Vancouver's soccer team, their home field is Rio Tinto stadium right now because Canada is not allowing any teams to come in. So they came here and they're staying here for the whole MLS season. I just found that out last night. Yeah. But the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays, their home stadiums in Buffalo, New York, right? Toronto, Buffalo. Hmm. <laughs> it's, it's close. <laughs> the food scene's very similar. I hear. So, <laughs> but, uh, and yeah, so no, nothing else. I mean, we're going to edit out the part where I talked about the box. I can't believe I said that on, on a, in a public forum, but outside <laughs> of that. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody. Well, appreciate it, guys. Have a good one.